I was just so compelled by my own struggle and brokenness in pastoring over the last three years. Just, just my heart breaking over the hardships of pastoral care and ministry. And I had no emotional energy to counsel, to preach, because I had nothing to draw from to give people. So um, it comes out of the trenches of the day in, day, day out hard, hardship of ministry. This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, building the legal, business, and technology infrastructure for church plants. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. Well, welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. This is Josh Kynes, uh, joined by uh, Hunter Brewer. Uh, we're excited today to have on the, the podcast uh, Jonathan Dotson. Um, uh, pastor in uh, Austin, Texas at City Life Church. And uh, I actually, the reason we have him on the show today, I was, uh, I was kind of going through a, a, a difficult time in ministry. I was supposed to have actually gone on sabbatical this past year and ended up having to postpone it and uh, was on a little short trip getaway um, for a weekend and just kind of uh, was tired and weary and was thinking about maybe I shouldn't have not uh, postponed my sabbatical and was trying to figure out how to kind of stir up the courage to continue on. And I saw the title of a book called The, Un- Un- uh, the Unwavering Pastor. And I was like, I need to be unwavering. That might be very helpful. Um, and uh, as I uh, picked up the book and, and read in it, uh, began reading it, I, I, was, uh, I was kind of startled by the fact I began looking for cameras uh, in my in my truck as I was listening to it through Audible, because um, I felt like he had uh, tapped into to my life and was 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 recounting all of the stories of my own ministry. Um, what I found in the the title uh, was a little uh, off, uh, a little uh, not what it seemed to be when I got into the book. It was really about uh, how to how to kind of fight through the difficult times in ministry. At least the initial part of the book, the front half of the book. Um, and then the back half, a lot of encouragements for how to press on uh, and through encouragement was greatly helped by that. And so I uh, reached out to Jonathan uh, to see if he'd be willing to come on the podcast to, to maybe encourage you in some ways that he uh, encouraged me. So Jonathan, welcome. So glad to have you today. Thank you, Josh. Glad to be here. Look forward to our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I, I looked into a little bit of your story, um, after checking out, uh, after reading your book, I realized you had planted a church out in the Austin, Texas area. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about church planning, how you got started in church planning, this being a church planning uh, podcast, uh, and, and specifically uh, how, you know, some of your experience there at City Life uh, in Austin? Yeah, we moved here in 2006. Uh, so that's 16 years ago. This month, actually, moved here, I think, on Halloween. So, um, Yep. So it's been a, it's been a good while. We moved from Boston, uh, did graduate work there in uh, Gordon Conwell and then pastored there for a year. Uh, but at my heart had always been as from, from probably my conversion 
uh, my heart always been kind of with the missionaries. So I read, I remember devouring missionary biographies as a little child, uh, C.T. Studd, Amy Carmichael, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, and just being captivated by their faith and, and captivated by their eagerness to spread the gospel to people who hadn't heard. So <clears throat> as I, as I matured, got through high school, I, I was pointed in the ministry and missionary kind of direction, did some trips around the world. And then Gordon Conwell, I found myself in Southeast Asia, Burma, Laos, Thailand, working among the Shandai people, helping church planters with ethnographic research and sharing the gospel with Buddhists, monks, all kinds of people. And I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, I didn't like the smells. I didn't like the food. I didn't like the culture. The, the Eastern culture was, was difficult for me. And um, I remember waking up at 4 a.m. one morning, the Buddhist gong was going off and uh, the, the rooster was crowing and I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I'll, I'll bring my family uh, and die here serving you, even though I don't like it. And got on the plane, flew back and my mentor who had planted churches in Southeast Asia, started a language school, then a leopard church plant. I mean, kind of the modern hero. Uh, I told him the story and he said to me, Jonathan, it's okay if you don't go. I think that your gifts would be well-suited in a city. And God used that probably to relieve some missionary guilt that was driving that kind of childhood vision, as well as to kind of redirect me where God was clearly sending me um, and to reframe uh, North America's mission field and to begin thinking about church planting here. So that that's kind of like, a, you know, like I'd mentioned before we hopped on, kind of a boomerang approach to, coming back to the States uh, in my thinking and for church planting. So I began trying to apply missiology to North America and we started looking for hard places, places that were unchurched. And you don't typically think of Texas. I thought I'd never come back to Texas. It's over church and too religious. I wanted to be with irreligious people who aren't church, but then I, I uncovered Austin. Uh, Austin is the kind of a hole in the Bible belt. You know, it's the progressive city and a, conservative state and um, fell in love with the culture, saw the need. And, you know, once, once it all kind of coalesced, we, we jumped in the U-Haul and came down here, parachuted in and uh, began church planting. So Jonathan, thank you again for joining us on the five points church planting podcast. It's very good to meet you and, you know, excited that you are joining us because our, our audience is, we have church planners, we have pastors, we have students in seminary, we have uh, people that are considering going into the ministry. And thinking through your book, um, just the divisiveness and needing grace and the struggles of ministry, you know, that's applicable to everybody, whether church planner or pastor or seminary student. Um, so thankful for you and, and your work. Um, what has been thinking about your church plant and thinking about city life, what has been your biggest takeaways, successes and failures um, that you've experienced that you would love to share or like to share or hopefully share with church planners um, that are listening? Yeah, I think one thing is, is um, you don't only get to plant the church in your head, you pass the church God gives you. Uh, you, you don't always plant the church. It's in the prospectus. You, you, you pass the church that materializes before you, you know? So I think um, 
you, you develop your prospectus, your vision, your theological vision, your scope of ministry, your target, all those things. But at the end of the day, God's in charge of who comes. Uh, he calls the elect and the elect come. And um, we, we have no control over who comes. So I think there's a sense in which I learned like to hold the kind of strategy. We were kind of a creative class and focus, trans class and scope. We've been moved by some of the work of Richard Florida. And um, we did reach creatives, but it, it didn't, <laughs> people are so messy. Um, you know, the, the profile looks nice. Uh, there's no sin or backbiting or, you know, church discipline in the prospectus. <laughs> but the real church is broken in, frayed, uh, messy place. And I think in our youthful naivete and our vision and our genuine love for the gospel, we, we often can be um, insensitive to the fact that God is calling broken people into his church and they may not fit the profile that we have for our church. And so it's important to adjust your expectations to the people that God brings you and shepherd the people in front of you, mm. not the people in your head. Right. So yeah. <clears throat> that's a big thing, you know, and I think it's something that you just keep learning. <laughs> um, another thing I, I remember kind of my first core team meeting, I had my, uh, you know, my vision, my doctrine, all the documents. And I, I started getting anxious before everybody was coming over to the house for the first meeting. And so I, I called up a coach and uh, he said, man, put all that stuff to the side tonight. You need to, you need to begin to embody the reality that church is a family, have a big cooked meal, which we, we had thanks to my wife <laughs> and uh, just learn one of their nicknames in junior high and get to know one of their stories. And that was such a, a pivotal piece of information and actually became kind of part of the DNA of the church actually becoming like a family. Um, it, it, the church not, not being a vision, but, you know, brothers and sisters united in Christ moving forward in his mission. So I think the, the DNA of church's family, if you talk to people, they'd say, man, that's, that's one of the big things I took away from city life is that um, the church isn't just an event. It isn't just a, a sacred gathering or even a mission, uh, but it is a family. It's the people of God uh, gathered around uh, the risen Christ. And so, um, yeah, just to, 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 to hold some of the, not to relinquish the doctrine, but put it in service of real breathing people and, you know, become a family. Um, don't over-program with your doctrine or your strategy. Yeah, so... So those are some things I think uh, maybe a third thing that comes to mind is uh, train elders early and train them well. Uh, we, we went through three tiers of sets of elders um, and we would, it would do a year and a half process and we'd focus on character, skill and doctrine. We'd start with character. And at the beginning, the first thing you had to do is look at first Timothy three and say, you know, where, where am I strong and where am I weak? And we began the whole process with weakness and every time the spirit would land on this community of brothers who, who were aspiring to elders and there would be a sweet kind of um, little kind of gospel moment in which we were, we were all awakened 
to our inadequacy and Christ's sufficiency. And that really knit them together. And it had began that process of training qualified elders. And uh, so, you know, so important to, to have godly men that can come alongside you, pray for you, counsel you, uh, defend you. And that's another thing that wasn't always in the training that I learned eventually was like character skill doctrine. Yes. But the, the nuts and bolts of like, how do you, how do you field criticism for a lead pastor? How do you uh, counsel him? How do you defend him in a way that's uh, with integrity, but also challenge him where he needs to be challenged. And that's kind of an awkward thing to do, but I found it so important that none of these men have been elders before. So I needed to help train them on some of even the nuts and bolts of things that I thought would be intuitive if you had the character, skill, and doctrine, but they aren't. So yeah, John, yeah. Jonathan, real quick, um, we're going to begin to nominate elders for our church plant next month. Mm. And um, I, you know, when you go to plant a second church, one of the things that I say to myself is make new mistakes. And mm -hmm. um, I felt like one of the things that I did not do well in my first church plant was, was elder training. And so um, I've, I've rolled out a plan for a year long uh, elder training. And I've been thinking to myself, Oh goodness, that's just, just too long. So I cannot tell you the uh, exuberance <laughs> I now have <laughs> because you said a year and a half. So that's very helpful yeah. for me on my end. Yeah. Well, that's good. And I like to make new mistakes because you're going to make them, but let's try not repeat the old ones. So that's good. That's good. wisdom. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, you know, that, that length of commitment weeds out those that aren't called, at least in that season, yep. you know, and we found that, that there would be people who hang in for a few months and be like, you know what, this is not for me. And uh, those that were, those that were really yielding to the spirit's work, whether they became elders or not, stuck it out. And they, they were grateful. Their wives were grateful. They'd say, thank you so much for investing my husband. He's become a better husband. You know, so we always tried to say this is the, this isn't the, the end point is an elder. The end point is godliness. And if you end up being qualified an elder, that's wonderful. So we tried to broaden the scope of people that we thought would be probably become elders to people who could eventually be elders, but may not actually make it through the evaluation at the end. So Jonathan, you've had a wide variety of experiences in uh, professional ministry. So can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to want to sit down and spend all of your free time that you have when you're not planting churches and reaching unreached people to sit down <laughs> and write the unwavering pastor? What was going through your mind that led you to want to do this? Uh, I was just so compelled by my own struggle and brokenness in pastoring over the last three years, you know, the challenges of isolation and COVID politics and different protocols and candidates, um, the uh, deconstruction movement and seeing people abandon their faith or become Christian name, but in substance become something unrecognizable from what they were before. Um, just, just my heart breaking over the hardships of pastoral care and ministry. 
And so in a sense, it was almost a self-counseling project. <laughs> uh, I had written about 70% of the book and I had my own moment of kind of emotional depletion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was walking towards our downtown building and I felt my heart decoupled from the church in a way I'd never felt. Uh, you know, uh, we frequently think about leaving the ministry because of its hardships. But this was something altogether different. And um, within a week, I'd contacted my elders and uh, sat down with them. And what was a decoupling moved to kind of a snap of rubber band stretched too far. And I had no emotional energy to counsel, to preach. The thought of being in, a, in, in our church was intimidating, harrowing, because I had nothing to draw from to give mm-hmm. people. Um, I wasn't bitter. I wasn't uh, angry at God. Um, I wasn't, um, uh, well, you know, I probably had some mild depression. Um, and, I, and I did see a counselor a couple of times during that time, which was helpful. Um, but yeah, I just, I had no more emotional reservoirs. So, and I think writing the 70% of that book accelerated that depletion. Because in writing this book, if you've read it, um, I really go back into stories of real pain mm-hmm. and suffering. And I try to kind of open those wounds and then open the scriptures and treat the wounds with a lot of the wisdom and grace in Second Timothy. And that, I think, was emotionally exhausting. Um, but it was worth it because uh, I've, I've received so many notes from pastors mm-hmm. who feel like their truck was bu- bugged or their house had a camera. Um, <laughs> The line that I, I cherish that I, I've heard a few times is, I feel like this was written to me, mm-hmm. that you've been in my soul and you've been treating my heart. Mm-hmm. And um, man, that's a joy because God redeemed the pain. Mm-hmm. And he redeems the pain whether you write a book or not. But, it, but a joy for me to see him redeeming that pain and blessing brothers who are serving him and serving his church. So... Um, I took a, that, that kind of two month sabbatical and finished the book towards the end, the latter 30%. So, um, it comes out of the trenches of the day in day, day out hard, hardship of ministry. And then I think the backdrop of the last three years, um, really, uh, kind of attuned my heart to the need for the wisdom in second Timothy. Yeah, that was, uh, I think that was the, the draw for me, um, you know, in the book when I, when I picked it up, um, you know, 2020 obviously was a, a big, you know, turning point in, in the church and a lot, of, a lot of pastors' lives. I mean, I think the story of pastoral ministry that you share is, you know, it's common uh, for, for a lot of people. Uh, I, I, I frequently try to read, if not every year, every couple of years, the chapter from uh, Charles Spurgeon's uh, lectures to my students called the ministers fainting fits. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's always just to kind of remind me of <laughs> the, the, the common struggle uh, that is mm-hmm. pastoral ministry. And, but I think 2020 brought a unique challenge uh, and, and in my own life. Uh, my, my wife uh, took a prescription drug that year and was um, uh, put in a wheelchair and, Mm. Uh, I, I didn't know if I was going to lose her or not. Um, mm. we really didn't have a lot of answers. It was a very long year. And then of course we're dealing with all the stuff of, uh, of COVID as, as well. Um, mm. and all the challenges that you speak to so profoundly in the book and then, and then all, all of that. And then you get that, you, you get that email, 
an email. <laughs> That's what you say in the book. You said, I got an yeah. email, an email uh, <laughs> from that, from that member or that individual that you were dear friends with that you're close to. Um, in some yeah. cases, I didn't even get that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was texting and calling and getting no return. And, and there's real struggle uh, in that dynamic. What I, yeah. what I found helpful, so helpful when I picked up your book was in the vulnerability of what you shared and in the counsel that you shared, I found a, a lot of help, not just in your story, but how you tie the story to Paul's um, and, and second Timothy. And for me, like I, like I love to commiserate and I know that there's people who go through the same things. It makes you feel human, but to hear you place it in the text and, and to draw what you drew from second Timothy, I think honestly was probably the most profound piece of, uh, of, uh, about how effective the book was in my own life. So I just wondered mm -hmm. as you, as you thought about writing the book or what was the genesis of you kind of formulating the book around second Timothy, how did you get to that kind of way of formulating the book and what kind of drove that kind of decision-making process for you? Yeah. Second Timothy isn't alone in this, but it is, there's a profound level of pastoral candor in Paul. And that was part of the draw. You know, the, the, the book is filled with shocking honesty from Paul. And, and here's, this is not young Paul flaunting his imperfections. Mm -hmm. You know, this is sage Paul mm -hmm. um, carrying wounds uh, that he has hidden inside his savior. So uh, he says things like all who are in Asia abandoned me. Mm -hmm. The word abandoned, you know, uh, betrayed. Um, who has experienced that in ministry? abandonment from people that you thought wouldn't abandon you. Why is betrayal stinging? Because you don't expect that person to betray you. Mm -hmm. Paul's in touch with that. He confesses that, you know, he says things at the end of the letter, like, you know, um, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Mm -hmm. He didn't airbrush it and say, you know, I got hurt for the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, you know, I got beat up because I'm following Jesus. He's specific. He's got names. And yet there's a, a restraint, a redemptive restraint to kind of not run over them and not name call, you know, and not go on. It's, there's not a, it's not a Twitter rant. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a pastoral um, uh, confession, uh, but it's placed next to, you know, gospel hope. You know, everyone's abandoning him. No one stood up for him in this trial. Um, and then he can say things like, you know, charge it not to their account. Mm. How can you say that? You know, you were on trial for the gospel. Their souls are saved because of you. And nobody stood up for you. You know, I mean, sheesh. I might not say it out loud, but I'm going to run them down in my head. <laughs> and he says, charge it not to their account. He sounds like our savior and that's the savior work. That's the That's the sanctified Paul, the spirit of Jesus. In him. Mm. And he, and he says it, how not by belittling his struggles, but by looking at them next to Jesus. And so he says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me when everyone else abandoned me, Jesus remained and strengthened me. He stood by me mm. and strengthened me. 
And that's how he can say things like that and it not become a Twitter rant or a kind of embittered pastor, you know, recounting his stories with, with kind of a curmudgeon-y attitude. That's not what you get from Paul. So all of that kind of stuff, a third, that's probably a third of the reason I was drawn to Second Timothy is this kind of hopeful yet brutally honest, you know, uh, pastor uh, helping us deal with our wounds. Um, another third is it's filled with practical wisdom to pastor messy, divisive, gangrene-filled churches. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of that. Yeah. And uh, I think there's been an accumulation uh, in, in churches over the last two years of the kind of divisive words and the gangrene and all of that. So, you know, to, to see how he handles those kinds of people um, was super helpful, you know. And then just the profound gospel hope, handle the word like a workman, you know, cut it straight, um, be- beautiful uh, descriptions of the gospel and why it's worth enduring uh, for the gospel. So yeah, those are the kind of three things that drew me to second to me. There's the profound pastoral candor, um, the, the, the heartbeat of gospel hope in the letter, and then just tons of practical wisdom navigating the mess that we're in right now. So Jonathan, we are recommending your book highly, The Unwavering Pastor. But there are probably many listeners who have not read your work yet. And they are in a tough spot. They're in a difficult situation. Um, They're hurt. They're wounded. All of those things. Um, In light of your book um, and in light of Timothy, what, what words of hope do you have for them right now in the moment? It's okay to be sorrowful. It's, you know, if you feel weighed down, if you feel the pressures and the critiques and the failure and you feel like you're bending, go ahead and break. Go ahead and collapse into the arms of your Savior. And as you're able, tell him what hurts. Just just talk to him out loud. That, you know, this person, that situation, this dream. You know, just just let the weight of the suffering snap you and and then let the Savior heal you. And um, it's okay. I mean, Paul in places is a blubbering mess. (laughs) Uh, Jesus, your Savior is was a man of sorrows, Mm -hmm. acquainted with grief, Um, you know, weighed down. Uh, these are the names of the Son of God. Mm-hmm. He understands your sorrow. He en- has entered into it already and will enter into your sorrow with you. And then when you're there, um, don't feel like you've got to justify the time off. Don't feel like you've got to come away with a big lesson to, to prove yourself. Just come away with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And for me, coming away with a, a new layer of Christology, the weeping Messiah. Mm-hmm. He weeps with you and for you. He suffered not only for your sins, but for your sorrows. And just, just be with him and, 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 and add, the, add that to your Christology, to your Christ, to your Savior. And, um, you know, um, he'll lift you up. He'll lift you up in due time. 
it may not be as fast as you want it to be. That's okay. Jesus didn't have a clock. Um, mm. it, it takes time. And um, don't let the urgency to prove yourself or to pay the church back for your time off grieving. Don't let that be uh, your driving force to, to, you know, kind of open up in ministry again in terms of your capacity. Uh, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Um, find a good friend. Find a good friend to talk to. Jesus is a friend that never leaves, but it's also have to good, have good friends that come and go. Paul had the Nisiphorus. Jesus had his three intimate conversations, you know, confessions, hopes, prayers. I remember when uh, at the end of, you know, last year, um, talking to my elders and just describing how much it hurt and just praying probably the slowest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. It's okay to pray slow, broken prayers. Um, and being met by a felt sense of the love of God. And uh, so, yeah, brothers, you're not alone. Um, Jesus is with you. He'll go as deep as you need to go. And, um, you know, there are brothers that want to come alongside you. And I'm sure that there are some in your networks or your denominations. Don't be afraid to reach out and just ask for help. And, um, you know, if this book can be a help, then praise the Lord. But uh, our hope is in is in our Savior. Yeah, Jonathan, I um, <clears throat> you know, uh, two books that have been you know uniquely helpful for me through the past couple of years, seasons. When my wife, you know, uh, was sick, we ended up having to spend three weeks out in California for treatment, and I grabbed another book haphazardly, the same way I grabbed yours. Um, uh, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, and that uh, was uniquely helpful for me in 2020 and then yours this past year. Um, it was the chapter from Hebrews 7.25 that he is able to save to the uttermost, uh, those who mm. draw near to him because he ever lives to make intercession for them. And just to, to be reminded in that season of, of difficulty, um, that his daily ambition, what gets him out of bed in the morning, if you will, <laughs> uh, is to plead his, to plead your case, uh, to speak Amen. for you, to, to labor with and alongside you. And kind of as I, I walked through that season, that was a refreshing, renewing work in me. And so when I, I stumbled upon your book, kind of coming out of the difficulty of the kind of family dynamics I was facing and the after effect of that's told on my ministry, mm. that, that emphasis on the, that gospel emphasis uh, in your book, took me back to the reminders of those um, those things and, and applied them as it were uh, specifically mm. to ministry in a way that was uniquely helpful. So uh, so grateful for your your word there, and uh, can't recommend the book enough to those who might be uh, facing that season uh, of ministry Wonderful. as well. Wonderful. All right, Jonathan. So this book is relatively short, very direct, and extremely accessible to busy pastors and planters. And as a former English teacher, I appreciate <laughs> your economy of words in that sense. <laughs> but if you did have some more space uh, to express some of the unique struggles of pastoring and planting churches, is there anything else that you would like to focus on that you might not necessarily have had space to go into in this work? 
Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I've got lots I could add. I feel like I write a book a year if I had time. So with the, with this book, I think there is an invisible strength behind the entire book that um, if you're paying attention, you know, becomes visible, but, and that is the strength of godly elders who contend for the gospel and for my good. And I would write a, an entire chapter and I may write an entire book on, on the vital importance of godly, tender-hearted, Jesus-loving, wise pastors and elders around you, you know. And uh, this can be hard for a solo pastor who doesn't have other staff, uh, but it's so important and to, to lean on the non-vocational pastors or elders um, to cultivate those. So, yeah, I, I would love to, I, I've had three in this church, I've had three rounds of elder teams and the most recent team is six years old. Um, and they have, I would have, I would have not made it this far without them. They, they uh, have challenged me where I need to be challenged when I get a critique and they have defended me when I didn't need to, to, to put critiques close to the heart. Mm. And that's a hard thing to discern on your own. And when you have wise men who have good character that you can trust, that is so helpful. You know, um, they have prayed for me. I was in a meeting this morning, a discipleship meeting with one of the elders and another guy that's in our discipleship group. And we were talking about the need to kind of text one another a little bit more throughout the week for encouragement and prayer. And one of them said to me, well, you text us a lot. We need to text more. You're always asking for prayer. <laughs> and I said, well, that's because I'm so weak. And they said, exactly. <laughs> we're all that, weak, you know? Yeah. And, and so not only the character and the wisdom, but the prayers, the mm -hmm. prayers of these men in the middle of sermon prep, hitting a wall going, I can't see it. What do I need to see? Lord elders pray, you know, 30 minutes later, breakthrough so many times, so mm -hmm. many times, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I could just talk so much about their strengths and their wisdom and their blessing, the invisible strength behind the book helping it be written. I mean, gave me the time off mm -hmm. in, a, in a heartbeat. Didn't, didn't rush me, you know, actually implored me to, to take more time <laughs> to indulge in grace. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, <sighs> such a blessing, such a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned, um, you know, texting. I was at a, gathering of church planners a week ago, two weeks ago and um, church planning summit and was talking to a church planner and he was having the same conversation with his elders. He said, I feel like it's, I'm texting all the time in your direction and you don't very often text in my direction. We need to share this ministry. We need to share prayer requests, et cetera. <clears throat> and he, and they all agreed. Um, there was great harmony and in, in what they wanted to accomplish and what they wanted to do, you know, similar to what you said. And he said, all right, guys. Um, and so if you don't, uh, you know, I'm going to text you and you text me. And if you don't text me, I will tweet you. <laughs> one, of the, one of the elders raised his hand and he said, well, you mean text? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. Uh, if, if you, if you don't enter into this process, I'm just going to just, 
put it out there on Twitter for everybody <laughs> to know. I thought that was pretty good. There's your ultimatum. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so Jonathan, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about your writing ministry and for those who are listening and some of the resources you have available for churches and pastors. Uh, yes. Writing books are, you know, Amazon publishers, you know, written seven, eight, nine books. Um, the, uh, uh, on uh, social media, you know, Instagram and Twitter. Um, we started a ministry called Gospel Center Discipleship, and that publishes three uh, long-form articles a week, and then it publishes books. And it also is uh, dedicated to cultivating writers. So we have a, a little cohorts of writers that hear from sub- subject matter experts, publishing, writing. And that we, we really want to help cultivate another generation of skilled theologically informed um, gospel centered writers. So, um, so you can read some of their work there as well as uh, kind of enter into that. If you're looking for help as a, as a potential writer or as a current writer. Uh, Yeah, Jonathan, when I went to kind of follow along some of your other works, um, the uh, remind me again, gospel centered discipleship. What's the, mm-hmm. the okay? Uh, the material I'll use, I, I kind of perused through some of the long form articles that you're referring to, and a lot of great resource there. Um, you know, found myself kind of uh surfing uh through the, through the <laughs> website through a number of articles and things. So, I uh, would recommend that as well. Was uh, was helped by it and, and grateful for the the work you do in writing as well. Uh, it's something I'm always wanting to get better at. I am not a former English teacher uh, <laughs> and uh, consider myself mostly illiterate. So uh, always, trying to, <laughs> always trying to better my, my resource there. So yeah. uh, appreciated a lot of the, the writing there and, and uh, grateful to, to recommend that uh, to folks as well. Great. Glad, glad to hear that. Thank you. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It was a great conversation, and we pray that the Lord will not only bless your ministry in Austin, but also your writing ministry as well. The book has been helpful, and we hope that it will be encouraging to many. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you. It's been a joy to talk to you again. That's the last word for now. Thanks to you for joining us and listening today. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter or Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at reformedplanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.